Thank you for joining us for this podcast from College Church of the Nazarene University Avenue. The following was recorded live on location in Bourbonnais, Illinois. So don't tell anyone that Jesus is the Christ. And I promise you, in 37 years of ministry, I've never begun a message that way. Not only that, in 37 years of ministry, not only have I never begun a message that way, I've never included it in a message anywhere. I've never said it at the beginning of a message. I've never said it in the middle. I've never said it at the end. I have never said the message in eight words is don't tell anyone that Jesus is the Christ. I've never said that. And not only have I never preached it, I've never said it in any context. I've never told anyone at any time ever, don't tell anyone that Jesus is the Christ. I've never said that. As a matter of fact, I have preached the opposite. And sometimes I think I haven't preached the opposite well enough. We're supposed to testify to the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And most of the time, I wish we would do that more often, speak more often to others what it is we have confessed to our Lord, what it is we confess to each other every Sunday, that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. I mean, we're supposed to go and tell it on the mountain, I believe. And our mission here at College Church is to make disciples of all nations, help people become more devoted followers of better disciples of Jesus Christ. It is always, always all about Jesus. I mean, that, thus have you come to worship Jesus. So it makes perfect sense that I have never said or come close to anything, saying anything like, don't tell anyone that Jesus is the Christ. Because we're supposed to tell folks. We're supposed to tell everyone that Jesus is the Christ. So while I have never said it, do you know who did? Yeah, I heard it. I heard it whispered. Jesus said it pretty clearly, pretty directly, leaving no room for misunderstanding or alternative interpretation. It was a clear command that the disciples were to obey found in Matthew 16, verse 20, the same chapter from which we read this morning. Then Jesus warned his disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Then he commanded his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Then he gave the disciples strict orders to tell no one that he was the Christ. So there you go. And it's interesting where and when Jesus gave his disciples this, what seems to us, confusing instruction. Jesus told his disciples, he warned them, he commanded them, he gave them strict orders not to tell anyone right after Peter confessed it. So right after Jesus asked his disciples who others were saying he was, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, he asked them, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And we've read Peter's confession two Sundays in a row now. Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus asked Peter the most important question anyone will ever be asked. Who do you say I am? The most important answer anyone will ever give to any question is the answer to that question. So then, after Peter answered it rightly, because that's what was true, Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus commended Peter, lauds Peter over the top, he told Peter that this understanding of Jesus, of him as the Christ, 
didn't come from Peter. Peter didn't figure this all out on his own. No, it wasn't flesh and blood rationalization. No, who Jesus was was revealed to Peter by the Father. This is knowledge that only God can give, that Jesus is the Christ. Folks, if we know that Jesus is the Christ, it is only because God the Father has given us that knowledge, which should speak to perhaps some of our proclamation strategies. Maybe prayer is the most important evangelism we could ever do. And then Jesus said, you're Peter. And with a play on words on Peter's name, Jesus told Peter, Petros, that on this rock, Petra, he would build his church. The church would be built on the confession of Jesus as the Christ. And the power of death, symbolized by Hades, will never overpower it, would never overcome it. So the church is God's idea. It's being built by Jesus around the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and it will be forever. There will never be a time when the church is not. And Jesus told Peter that he was going to be giving to Peter all kinds of authority. The keys of the kingdom, said Jesus. Pretty significant moment in the life of Peter and indeed in the life of those disciples because Peter was the spokesperson. So after that, you would think that the very next thing out of Jesus' mouth would be, now go and tell everyone what you have confessed. Go and tell everyone that I am the Christ. But that's not what Jesus said. It was after this pivotal, life-changing confession of Jesus as the Christ that Jesus warned his disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ, that he commanded his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ, that, that he gave those disciples strict orders not to tell anybody that he was the Christ. So here's a short version of what happened in Caesarea Philippi. Who do you say I am? You're nothing less than the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus, yes, and don't you dare speak of it to anybody. Now, we should know that this is not the only time Jesus told folk not to tell anyone who he was. After Jesus healed a leper in Matthew 8, same gospel, Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priests and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Do not tell anybody that I healed you. And after healing a man with a shriveled hand in a synagogue, synagogue, the same text, same book, Matthew 12, a large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill and he warned them not to tell others about him. So Jesus warning, commanding, giving strict orders to his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. I mean, that wasn't the first time that Jesus gave that kind of instruction, but still it feels so counterintuitive until you read the rest of the story. And then you know why, which we did this morning. So that verse, Matthew 16, 20, as the last verse where Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ doesn't make a whole lot of sense as the last verse of that story. But that verse, Matthew 16, 20, as the first verse of what happened next makes perfect sense. Because even though Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, even though Jesus commended Peter for that truthful confession, Peter still didn't know who Jesus was. Or to be more fair to Peter, Peter still didn't know the kind of Christ Jesus was. He confessed Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, but Peter had in his head the wrong kind of Messiah. 
And the scholarly consensus says that the reason Jesus didn't want any of his disciples broadcasting that he was the Christ is because they would have represented, the, misrepresented, they would have misrepresented the kind of Christ he was. I mean, if you really don't know who Jesus is, then you probably ought not to speak of him. So even after confessing what was true, that Jesus was God's anointed one, that Jesus was the Son of God, they still didn't know who he was. So right after Peter confessed the truth of who Jesus was, and is for that matter, he's still the Lord, Jesus began telling them what kind of Messiah he was going to be, what kind of Christ he was. From that time on, Jesus began making it clear to his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law and be killed and be raised on the third day. And it's really difficult in a single translation to get what Jesus was saying here. He had to go to Jerusalem, yes. He must go to Jerusalem, yes. It was absolutely necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, yes. And no, what Jesus was saying to his disciples here was it was ordained for him to go to Jerusalem. This was a divine appointment. This is, that's what the Greek indicates here. It wasn't just that it was important and it wasn't just that it was necessary. No, it was ordained. It was time for him to do what he came to do, which is go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be killed and be raised on the third day. He had to do this. This was why he came. And frankly, that was not the kind of Messiah. That was not the kind of Christ that those disciples were interested in following. And Peter said so. Speaking for all of them again, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. May God have mercy on you, Lord. This must never happen to you. And the reason Peter said, may God have mercy on you, Lord, was because he understood what Jesus had said, that his going to Jerusalem was divinely ordained. And Peter was responding to that. No, God would not require this of you. No, God would never let this happen to you. No, God in his mercy has to save you from this, Jesus said, Peter. So Peter is messing with the divine prerogative. Peter is messing with the relationship between the Son and the Father. Peter is trying to prevent Jesus from fulfilling his call, his vocation, what it is he came to do, what it is he came to reveal, who it was he came to reveal. Peter is so trespassing here. He didn't know what kind of Savior, the kind of Christ Jesus was. A Caesar Messiah. That's what we need. They're in Caesarea Philippi. There's a temple to Caesar there. A political savior. That's what we need. No, no, a savior that will fulfill all of my expectations and dreams, make all my dreams come true. There was a temple to the God of Pan, who is the God of harvest and the God of fertility. A Messiah that would... Make my life fruitful. Make all my dreams come true. That's the kind of Messiah. But a Messiah that would go to Jerusalem 
to suffer many things and be killed and raised on the third day? Peter said, I don't think so. I don't think so. It is no wonder that Jesus gave strict orders to his disciples not to speak of who he was because they didn't know who this Christ was. And Peter, who had just been given the keys of the kingdom, for the record, this was not the kind of authority that Jesus gave to Peter. Peter is so trespassing here. Thus, what we sometimes think is a harsh response on the part of Jesus makes perfect sense if you understand what's happening. It was Simon Peter, of all people, who was saying, Jesus, you don't have to do what the Father requires. Jesus, you don't have to do what you came to do. You don't have to be a suffering servant Messiah. Folks, this is the temptation in the wilderness all over again for Jesus. It anticipated the temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. Jesus, there are shortcuts to being the Savior. And Peter, by suggesting that the cross was not absolutely essential to the identity of Jesus and the mission of God, Peter, by suggesting that the cross was somehow optional, Peter, by suggesting that Jesus didn't have to suffer and die and be raised after all, he was making himself indistinguishable from Satan. This was a cosmic moment between Peter and Jesus. This was God against Satan in Caesarea Philippi. They were contending about nothing less than the character of God, the essence of the gospel, and the mission of Christ. And it was Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples being used by Satan, to tempt Jesus away from the call of God, which is absolutely why Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Oh, Peter, if only you knew who you were speaking for. Instead of being the rock upon which I can build my church, you become a Satan, a rock trying to trip me up, getting in the way of what I've come to do. Peter, you are in the way. So Jesus said to Peter, get out of the way. Get behind me. Start following instead of trying to lead. Peter's way was not God's way. Because God's way is the way of the cross. Not to our credit, perhaps, but I think we can identify with Peter here. I think we understand Peter. We might even be a little sympathetic to Peter because we, I think, if we're honest, recognize ourselves in this story. I'm thinking, we're thinking that one of the reasons Peter inserted himself as he did so trespassing, the reason he inserted himself as he did was because he was thinking about Jesus. He didn't want Jesus to have to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law and be killed, even if he was going to be raised on the third day, whatever that meant. So we can understand Peter trying to protect Jesus. We can understand Peter trying to protect who he just confessed as the Son of God from having to do what the Father and Son knew what the Son had to do. We can understand Peter trying to protect Jesus 
from Jesus. As arrogant as that sounds. But if Jesus' full response is any indication of Peter's motives, I'm also thinking that Peter didn't want Jesus to have to go to the cross because Peter didn't want to have to either. I mean, this was more than just about Jesus. This was about what it would mean to be a follower of Jesus. If Jesus had to go to the cross, and if Jesus told Peter to get behind him and start following, then maybe Peter would have to go to a cross too. That that was what was also working in Peter's mind could be discerned from the last two verses we read today. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their own life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Peter probably tried to deter Jesus from the cross because he didn't want to go that way himself. And so, folks, here's the message so far. God's way revealed in the Christ is a way of the cross. And all who follow in God's way go the way of the cross themselves. And if they don't, they're not following the Jesus who is. Sometimes I think we think being conformed to an American prosperity culture, sometimes I think we think that Jesus going to the cross means that we don't have to. Sometimes I think we think that since Jesus suffered, then we shouldn't have to. That Jesus carrying and dying on a cross was so that we might escape a cross ourselves because God is not about suffering. God is about comfort, and God is not about loss. God is about winning. Because Jesus did, we don't have to. That is nowhere here. That is nowhere here. Because Jesus did, we do too. Jesus wasn't providing us an escape. He was showing us the way. We lose our lives for Christ's sake because he lost his life. For ours. I don't know. Am I telling you the truth so far? Is that what the text says? I'm sure the question is well, what does that even look like for me? I mean, what does the way of the cross look like for us? Well, we've already read what the way of the cross looks like. Paul told us in Romans 12, 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, since God has shown us great mercy, I beg you, I urge you, I plead with you, I encourage you, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. This is a message to the church as surely as it is a message to persons. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the, by the feeding off of the Lord. And love must be sincere. No pretend love, no affected love, no patronizing love. Love, you got to love authentically. Got to love from your heart. No protecting your heart. You got to love. And that's a way of the cross sometimes because a lot of times it's unrequited. A lot of times it's never returned, but you got to love anyway. You have to hate what is evil because of the destruction of evil, because of how it hurts so many people. Do we need any more evidence that sin is destructive to persons? Hate the evil. Cling to what is good. That's a way of the cross in a culture that celebrates evil and denounces the good. Be devoted to one another in, in love. Devote yourself to each other as evidence of your devotion to Christ. You can't be dismissive of anybody. You can't write anybody off ever. You have to be devoted to them. Honor one another above yourselves. Everyone honor one another above yourselves. But I'm so much more. Never be lacking in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And that's the way of the cross, serving the Lord. Be joyful because your life circumstances are as you want them to be. No, be joyful because you hope. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. I don't want to be here. Be patient in affliction. That's a way of the cross. Be faithful in prayer. <laughs> That's a way of the cross. What's it accomplishing? Share with the Lord's people who are in need. I know, but my security is in my 401k. Share with God's people who are in need. That's a way of the cross. It's pretty risky. Welcome strangers into your home. The Greek word here. Is love the stranger. Love the stranger. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse. That's the way of the cross. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Oh, but there's so many people mourning. Mourn with them anyway. It makes my heart heavy and, it, you know, mourn with those who mourn. We're mourning with Brad today. 
live in harmony with one another. Yeah, but they're so wrong. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Oh, I know, but what if I'm seen with them? Do not be conceited. That's a way of the cross. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Never repay anyone evil for evil. That's a way of the cross. Be careful to do what is right in front of everybody. You mean I'm unaccountable to others? Yes, that's a way of the cross. I can't live just for myself? No, you can't. You belong to Christ, and you belong to others. It's a way of the cross. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That means no hard feelings from me. And do not take revenge. And let God worry about that. The Lord will take care of it. The Lord is the Lord of justice. You don't have to enact justice. No vigilante justice people around who are followers of Jesus. No, on the contrary, the way you overcome your enemy is to feed them. The way you overcome your enemy is to be kind and give them something to drink. That's a way of the cross. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. That's the way of the cross. So because Jesus suffered and died and was raised on the third day, we don't have to? No. <laughs> no, hardly, because Jesus did. So we do too. He wasn't providing an escape. He was showing us the way. We lose our lives for Christ's sake because he lost his life for us. And so the message is not, don't tell anyone that Jesus is the Christ. The message is, don't tell anyone that Jesus is the Christ unless the Christ you're talking about is the crucified one. And then tell everybody, if the Christ you're sharing is the crucified Christ, then tell it on a mountain and speak of it to everybody. I've spoken the truth this morning. You've been listening to a podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. If you care to join us for worship, we meet each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at 200 University Avenue in Bourbonnais, Illinois. We also offer a full range of activities, classes, small group meetings, and events throughout the week. For a complete list of what's going on at College Church or for more information on how you can get involved, please go to www.collegechurch.org.